This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 384, April the 2nd, 1997. This evening, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Mark Rushdoony, and I will discuss a question first, a question from Beverly Schmidt in Millhall, Pennsylvania. Beverly and her husband are the publishers, among other things, of the uh, 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 G. A. Henty books. She asks, "What were the good aspects and bad aspects of the imperialist age? Can it be compared to what is going on today?" Nothing on this subject, except from the left. What is the Christian? perspective. Well, first of all, we have to see that uh, imperialism is nothing new. The problem today is that it is usually discussed in uh, terms of what has happened uh, since the French Revolution, basically. But when you go into antiquity, the Assyrians had an empire, a very evil one, Egypt had an empire, Babylon, and one realm after another, including Persia. Of course, Alexander the Great in the intertestamental period, and then Rome. China very early became an empire. It still is. The people in South China and Canton province speak a different language, Cantonese, than those in the Beijing area, which is Mandarin. Then the uh, people of the southwest area are uh, Muslims, Turkic in origin, many of them, and they hate Beijing and all that China stands for. It's an empire. Now, Empires have been good and bad. Some have been both. And the Greeks, with their city-states, did go into an empire. They established colonies in Asia Minor. Alexander the Great, the Macedonian, established a vast empire reaching into India and North Africa, which divided into four parts after his death. Well, there were things good and bad that uh, developed out of the Roman Empire. Very clearly, they prepared the way for the expansion of Christianity in that the first area of expansion was within the empire. Then, after the fall of the empire, the church was in a better position to go into areas beyond the frontiers of the old Roman Empire. They had begun it before, but they were ready to expand even more. Throughout the centuries, there have been empires that we no longer think of as empires. For example, Great Britain 
was created as an empire. The Welsh were not English. The Scots were not English. And the people of Cornwall, of course, were Celts also, and those of Ireland. So we have to say, we have to be more objective when we deal with the subject. France, for example, an empire. The Bretons still don't like being a part of it. Spain, just to become the Spain we know, was an imperial power which conquered other areas, some Basque, some Celtic, Galatia, and uh, many of the peoples still maintain a somewhat uh, resentful attitude towards uh, being called Spaniards. If you're from Barcelona, you're proud of your heritage, which you regard as far superior to the Castilian. The France, in France, the rulers of Paris conquered the whole of what is France, and of course included some that were very different, like the Celts of Breton, but also groups that spoke another type of Romance language. And originally, as recently as the 1700s, if you were 25 miles outside of Paris, you could not be understood speaking Parisian French. Well, of course, what the critics of imperialism have in mind is the vast expansion of the British empires in Africa and Asia and elsewhere in the last century and up through World War I. Again, it's hard to generalize. There were aspects, for example, of the uh, British Empire's work that was hardly commendable. The opium wars they conducted in China to force opium on the Chinese Empire were clearly evil, as was their seizure of Hong Kong. Their war against uh, South Africa uh, and the uh, Boer republics was evil, a brutal war. On the other hand, in other areas, for whatever reason, they brought a great deal of uh, advancement. One reason why they could conquer say in Africa and elsewhere as well, but especially in Africa, was because of superior weapons. They had available advanced guns, whereas at best the African peoples had old-fashioned muskets and mostly spears and arrows, and they were just no competition for the Europeans. Well, 
the African areas had been an area of slave trade. Most of the world's slave traffic has been conducted over the centuries by Muslims. Beginning from the time shortly after Muhammad, the slave trade out of Africa has been phenomenal. Most of the slaves moving eastward all over Asia and into the East Indies. So that blaming the Western powers for the slave trade is nonsense. They could not have landed in Africa if the Arabs and the black rulers had not wanted them to buy slaves. When they did take over, they ended the slave trade and they proceeded to try to end cannibalism. They did a great deal to carry modern medicine into Africa and increased the population substantially with what they did. They also brought in education. A very high percentage of the leadership of uh, the various African countries gained their schooling in French and English universities, a few in American. Well, they advanced Africa phenomenally by means of colonialism. This is an important fact. Whether they intended it or not, good consequences did proceed from colonialism. There were bad ones as well in some areas, but the main enemy originally of colonialism in Africa was Islam because we were bringing about reforms there that they wanted no part of. And one of the great campaigns of the last century under Victoria was against the Mahdi, the Islamic uh, savior who arose and was responsible for a tremendous overthrow for a time of British power and for the death of General Gordon. It was not an unqualified good or bad story. It has to be examined piecemeal. Some of the colonial powers were of varying character. For example, someone from Africa, this was in the 30s, told me that uh, the saying in Africa is, we can milk the English with one hand, but the French it takes two hands. So they were quite adept at exploiting the imperial powers. There were differing reactions among the natives of the various areas. The English were most generous 
in helping all the natives that wanted an education and wanted to get ahead. They sent them in great numbers to English universities, but they would not treat them as equals, and the natives resented it. The French were far more ready to be agreeable there, and the Portuguese even more so. But rightly or wrongly, the Portuguese administration was regarded as more corrupt and hated by some of the blacks. Christians, Catholic and Protestant, did a great deal of work in evangelization, in education, and in medicine throughout Africa. Uh, the same was true in the Far East. And India, for example, is a unity today because of the English. So too Pakistan. They spoke multiple languages. Now they speak English in both areas. They got this from their conquerors. The same is true in other lands. People were united by the colonial powers and greatly advanced in all that they were uh, able to achieve. At the same time, true, there were evils that were perpetrated. Well, that's enough for me now. Douglas? Well, history uh, doesn't tell us very much about who are the people who pressed the buttons to <coughs> cause these uh, imperialist adventures by various countries, whether it was British, French, Portuguese, Spanish, <coughs> uh, German. All of, the, all of the European countries had their periods when they were involved in imperialist adventures. Apparently, whoever got going first, I guess it was the Portuguese, <coughs> um, with their explorations around uh, Africa, around the Horn of Africa and up the eastern side, uh, saw great potential for enhancing the eco economies of their particular country. And uh, since they couldn't easily expand by taking adjacent territory, for instance, Portugal going to war with Spain, it was much easier for them to just find an another uh, land somewhere that uh, where there was little or no uh, military expertise and with their superior weapons they could uh, subjugate very easily. It seems that in virtually every case uh, military uh, subjugation was the first step to uh, the economic uh, thrust that was made into the country. Uh, most of the, in the case of the British, the mercantile uh, aspect where they wanted raw materials from foreign uh, countries or their colonies uh, which they could take back and manufacture into goods that they could sell back into the colonies. They figured they had a uh, closed-loop situation going that would uh, create a lot of jobs for the people uh, at home. Uh, we seem to have uh, created a new kind of imperialism, <laughs> which is a reverse situation. We're giving up our jobs in this country uh, to create jobs in other countries, and uh, we have like an economic imperialism 
where we're going into foreign countries and uh, we've dressed it up with uh, new names such as uh, uh, global uh, uh, one of the favorite terms of our government officials is uh, a global competitiveness when in fact we are becoming less competitive because we, we no longer manufacture anything. How can you compete when you no longer make make the goods? Um, so instead of using the the uh, the military thrust first into foreign countries, uh, uh, we seem to be uh, practicing an economic imperialism. So I don't think a great deal has changed. The yeah. the result is is that uh, we're just doing it a different way, and we're we're calling it by different names. I think the the measure is whether or not the person in the other country can afford to buy what he makes. If the person in the uh, in the uh, the colony, whether it's a military uh, colony or an economic colony, uh, they've simply, in most cases, have been allowed to keep their own nation national uh, entity, their own government. Um, uh, we we simply uh, manufacture goods there at the lowest possible cost and sell them for the highest possible price on the world market, which is great for the companies involved, but it's creating enormous dislocations both in this country and uh, the people in these other countries are not driving all that much benefit. India is doing better. They have a rising middle class of technocrats and people there are able to afford some of the creature comforts that we take for granted. But I don't think the people in China, for instance, that are making the shoes that we uh, wear, um, Nike and all these various companies that manufacture sports shoes and over there that that they can manufacture for about 50 cents in labor and sell in this country for over $100 a pair. That's a pretty good profit margin. And uh, we don't manufacture shoes anymore in the United States. So the benefits of imperialism seem to have uh, become reversed. We're, <laughs> we're no longer deriving any benefit from it at all. So do you support um, greater tariffs or trade barriers to uh, to address this problem? Well, every time that's been tried, it uh, you know it it, it creates uh, hard feelings and people want to go to war over it. You know, then then the military aspect comes into being. We haven't really quite found the right mix yet to keep from getting our nose bloody. Uh, but the question is, you know, are we going to get our nose bloody externally with somebody getting mad at us because we erect trade barriers? Or are we going to get our nose bloody internally because the people in this country are tired of being uh, having to pay the freight, uh, but not getting any of the benefits? So uh, there's a question for the future about how these two methods of imperialism uh, are going to come out. Well, I would mention we have imperialism to thank for the roots of our own country. I mean, after all, England. Uh, was establishing colonies here, and even the you know trading companies in Massachusetts that came over were here to sure. at, at, at England's behest. So, um, as a as a Calvinist, I tend to support a, a very decentralized uh, form of government, not uh, large um, empires. Though, as Rush said, they certainly have, in some degree, been beneficial. And although I appreciate the United States and and love the country, I think we have to recognize the Bible supports a sort of Christian internationalism. I mean, we have a greater camaraderie with our brothers and sisters in the Sudan that are suffering than with 
pagan uh, Darwinists in this country and a greater responsibility to them. So I think we have to balance those two, that um, we have to be uh, patriots and we, we love the country that to God has placed us in, but we have a higher cause and uh, and uh, salute a higher flag, and that is the Christian flag and and the word of God. So I think if we bear those things in mind, we can retain a balance on, on this issue. Well, a couple of the benefits of imperialism. Uh, one notable benefit was that some very evil religious practices were stopped uh, because of their horror when, when faced with Western powers. When Spain went to the Aztecs, they said that the blood sacrifices on these beautiful pyramids that, that anthropologists rave about in Central America, that's going to stop, and that stopped immediately. Well, that was a result of imperialism. They were imposing their own morality on that culture, and anthropologists still haven't forgiven them for interrupting uh, that. Yeah. The political correctness people have a tough time answering that argument. That's exactly right. Um, in India, the burning of wives uh, the was um, largely halted by the British. So there are some very evil things that have gone on in different parts of the world, such as cannibalism, that the Western powers came in and said, hey, we're going to make an effort to, to put a stop to this as soon as possible. And in some cases, the only way to put a stop to that is by force. The binding of women's feet in China was yes, another. Good, good, another good example. And when you see something like, something like that that's so horrific, you could say either we can go into it with the modern, the modern humanists would do is let's start educating these people. Mm -hmm. And maybe in a generation or two, we'll see some results of our education. Well, their idea was, if it's bad, let's just say it's going to stop. And um, a lot of evil practices stop because of imperialism. Um, services. There's a lot of countries in the world today where the train system basically, you know, the transportation system still goes back to the imperialistic era that ended, you know, with about World War II. Um, and if imperialism, a lot of people, when they think of imperialism, they think of just the economic imperialism. But when you think about a developed country meeting a totally undeveloped country in the last century, what kind of relationship would naturally develop? One, either a welfare, says, well, here, we're here to build, build you up, and here we're here to build you up and create you as an equal, we're here so to help and, you. and then we'll do business with you. Or, what do you have to offer us? Do you have minerals? Do you have uh, resources? Do you have, what do you have? It's a natural relationship. Sometimes that was, that relationship was uh, probably abused, but uh, to a large extent that, that was beneficial to the development of that country and the country wouldn't have developed to the extent it has now. But a lot of times also when we look at imperialism, think of imperialism, we think of trying to control other peoples, okay, for our own benefits and, and, and make them as we want them so we have the best, the relationship we want with that country. We're still doing that. We're still doing that. In fact, in fact, a lot of those borders that were artificially created by imperialism, we're still saying those borders will stand. Even though they don't work, where you've got wow. a multi-ethnic, multi multi-tribal yes. uh, strife, 
particularly in African countries, where they arbitrarily, and in the Middle East, where they arbitrarily place boundaries. Imperialist colonialism created the problem, and we decry imperialist colonialism, but we're still perpetuating. Yeah, but those those, those decisions were all made on the basis of greed. Every single one of them. They were all made on the basis of man's greed. The late Gulf War is an example. I mean, there wasn't nearly as much the tyranny going on as it was the oil that we wanted to protect. Sure. So, well, copper in the Central Africa and oil in the no. Middle East. In this century, since World War One, <clears throat> nothing has been said about one of the most brutal empires in all of history. The Soviet Union. That's right. It was an empire, and it was totally brutal. I think you have to go back to the last century to find anything that is even halfway as bad. That would be Leopold of Belgium, his personal ownership of the Congo. And it was a brutal empire. It was the media of the day that uh, drew attention to it and blew it apart. Well, we have a new imperialist power now, the UN. I don't know how many places, perhaps 60 or more, that there are UN troops now. Why? Who appointed them to be the world's peacekeeper? It's a self-appointment. And from being... uh, place to meet and to discuss things, it's now becoming a super nation. So, uh, where are the criticisms of UN imperialism? The Birchers will criticize it, but not your liberals. Well, it's a natural uh, uh, development because the United States is broke and uh, no longer able to be the world's policeman. So they're anticipating that the United States, since the United States is going broke, and uh, the people don't want taxes raised anymore, they don't want them as high as they are now, that they'd be more than willing to let the UN uh, take over as the world's policeman. Uh, they have messianic designs, of course, and that's yes. the problem. I think if there's any oh, go ahead, Russ. Go ahead. No, I think if there's any imperialism that we should support today, I wrote down my notes here. Um, Mark was talking about the benefits of national imperialism. Uh, I think we need to support what Chalcedon supports: Christian imperialism, which is the Dominion Commission and the preaching of the gospel and uh, bringing people under the authority of the Word of God. That ultimately will solve the problems that national imperialism would never solve. Mm-hmm. You know, I often think of what a great job uh, was done in Africa after the European powers pulled out and they sent all of the uh, young African leaders to the Sorbonne in Paris to learn the most virulent form of Marxism and they went back to their countries and became the most ruthless murderers in the history, some of the That's most right. ruthless murderers in the history of the world and... Uh, decimated their own populations. Uh, and some of that's still going on. Although yeah, there's, there's Cambodia uh, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, <coughs> uh, Uganda 
Idi Amin and all these swell fellows who Nigeria. got these, yeah, Nigeria got the, all these swell people who got this uh, European education and went back and became monsters. That's right. That's, well, imperialism is not something that can be described as good or bad. There's been a great deal pro and con and will continue to be because I don't think we're done with imperialism yet. We see some ironic things in the course of imperialism's history. At the time we took the Philippines from Spain, there was a strong independence movement among the Philippines. And one of the great leaders of the independence movement there was Jose Rizal. And it was with bitterness that they saw the substitution of American rule for Spanish rule. But they came to like it. In fact, after World War II, there was some bitterness uh, on the part of the Philippines because we did not make them another American state. <laughs> and a very, very large and substantial uh number of people in the Philippines wanted that. And they felt that it was perhaps racism that led to their being set free instead of made <coughs> another state. Uh, it's interesting that that was not the first time that issue came up. After the uh, Mexican War, we could have taken all of Mexico. There were many in Mexico who would have welcomed it. They were tired of the tyrants who were ruling them. But there were too many people who were afraid that uh, it would be a bad mix to have the Mexicans and the Americans in one country. Well, <laughs> whether they like it or not, they're getting it right now. So, it's a mixed history. I hope uh, what we've said is helpful. We're going to turn our attention now to another subject which is of interest to a number of you, the cults. I think what has sparked this interest is the fact that very recently a number of people in the San Diego area dwelling in a mansion committed suicide, all members of the same group, Heaven's Gate, expecting that a rocket following the, what is it, hail, hail bog, rocket, uh, or comet, comet. would uh, carry them to another realm. Now, in recent years there have been a number of cults with a pseudoscientific basis very much given to the type of Star Wars thinking. And it's not a surprising thing that Star Wars and other uh, like films have had a sensational success. Anything dealing with this sort of thing is uh, very popular. As a matter of fact, some kind of... Uh, Space People uh, television program was the favorite of the 
San Diego group. Now, what's the origin of this sort of thing? Well, <clears throat> with the Renaissance, you began to get utopian thinking of ideal colonies, of separating from the world into an ideal group. This was not to uh, be together as, say, Christians, because Christians did tend to congregate, and it was a premise for generations that they were to, when they made a move, locate a church of a like faith and live within uh, distance of it. This was different. This was to come together because there was another world that was more important. And the world around them was going to go to hell and they alone were going to be in touch with the real world. We've had prominent people in Hollywood as members of a number of cults, some of whom profess to have communications with uh, the departed. One of the interesting aspects of this history uh, is a man, uh, perhaps one of you have heard of him, Charles Fort, F-O-R-T. Uh, well, Charles Fort was an interesting man whose dates go back into the last century, latter part of it, and maybe to the early years of this. I don't know. He was not a Christian. He was a radical cynic. And he was especially cynical where science was concerned. He felt that the uh, great superstition that was being developed in the modern world was science. He didn't deny that there could be some good in it, as no doubt there was in Christianity and other things that had preceded it. But the superstition of the modern age was now science. So he collected and published several very thick books of extensively reported and often vouched for episodes all connected with a scientific world outlook, very, very heavily uh, associated with uh, uh, space travel. Now, he also was concerned with things that scientists at that time couldn't explain, raining fishes, for example. And now we know that... Uh, fish can be sucked up by winds and carried many, many miles and then it will rain fish or frogs or whatever else they suck up. But he collected stories of uh, flying airships. In his time there were dirigibles not airplanes, but dirigibles. And so people, when they had these hallucinations, individual or mass, and had these space visitors come and talk to them and uh, tell them all kinds of marvelous things, it was not a plane or a flying saucer, 
It was a dirigible. Well, he had volume after volume of reports of this sort and all kinds of other things which indicated that these had their inspiration in science and people were having this type of occultist or semi-occultist thinking in terms of contemporary science. Charles Fort was not popular with the people of his day, especially the scientists. For one thing, he ridiculed at great length their ability to uh, compute accurately the distance of uh, various stars from the Earth. And uh, he thought a great deal of science was a lot of pomposity. And because people were impressed, there was no modesty in their invention of stories. So he hit them with all these tales and irked people. Well, it is interesting that uh, for a long time and possibly still, there was a Fortean society that published a journal collecting all these stories, not commenting on them, just saying, this is what's been reported. Now, how do you account for this? And uh, there were some... Uh, tolerably prominent people connected with the Fortean society. So, cults of this sort have been with us over the centuries. We've had them in paganism. We've had them in Christianity as people imagined that they had seen angels or uh great uh, things were told them or that the skies in the form of clouds formed uh, words. There's a famous story about the southern boy or young man, not very bright, who went to the Baptist deacons and said he had had a vision when he was out in the cotton field. He saw clouds form the letters P.C., which meant preach Christ. And so he was there for them to vindicate his vision and ordain him and send him forth to preach Christ. Well, the board was embarrassed. He was a good young man, but he was not very bright. And to ordain somebody who was none too bright just uh, didn't seem right to them. And finally one of them came up with the idea, the answer. So they went out and told the young man, young man, we don't doubt what you saw, but you misread it. It didn't mean preach Christ. It meant pick cotton. <laughs> well, <coughs> people are already always ready to uh, have visions. Not only some of our people in Hollywood were so well versed on things in the other world, 
but also apparently highly intelligent people. If you don't have a strong faith, you are very vulnerable to almost any kind of cult. And over the years I've seen more than one very, very intelligent person get sucked up in these cults. The fact that impresses me powerfully in all of this is what I learned from reading a few books on hypnotism. If you have a strong faith, you cannot be hypnotized. It's not a question of education. It's a question of faith. You can be highly educated and be extremely vulnerable to hypnosis or mass hysteria. And I remember a very uh, prominent professor at Berkeley, very much to the left, but a good man. I liked him. He had a sense of humor about himself at times. Not very honest, but uh, a likable man. And in the second half of the 30s, he took a sabbatical and, among other things, went to Germany. And when he came back, he told some of us of his experience at a Hitler rally. He said it was hypnotic. The setting, the march of the troops, the excitement of the crowd, and then Hitler speaking. This man understood German fluently. And he said before long he was caught up and the excitement. And he said, I screamed myself hoarse, shouting, Heil Hitler. And he said, it wasn't until I was af uh, after it was over, on my way to the hotel, I realized what I had been doing. So he said, I felt a little meek about my condemnation of the German peoples. Well, if you don't have a strong faith, you're vulnerable as were these people and what is it, Rancho Santa Fe, uh, an area of multimillionaires. Well, I think they're not an isolated situation. There are probably thousands of cults in the United States yes. in small groups like this. I think you can almost assume that. Uh, they all seem to have uh, the ones, the cults that have come to national prominence uh, seem to have some common denominators. Uh, first of all, the, there's a charismatic leader uh, who has a hypnotic effect on the people that come under his influence. Uh, he demands that they give him everything, all of their property and money and so forth. And uh, uh, and they, they, it winds up with tragic consequences. Uh, a lot of people die. You know, we tend to, uh, people tend to um, perhaps uh, minimize the importance of this, and uh, we've got night television comics making light of it, but for the parents of those people, you have to feel a little uh, 
concerned because uh, you know they've had the worst of all tragedies of losing a child even though they're in their 20s and 30s and that's a pretty hard blow and they don't know why and most of them don't know why and may spend the rest of their lives trying to figure it out uh, but if they did not give their kids a strong faith uh, if they don't figure out that that's what the cause was uh, they will they'll never know they'll always you know blame the cult leader or they'll blame society or they'll blame somebody but they'll they'll never understand that the reason that their mm-hmm. kid was not able to withstand the the um, seductiveness of uh, the cult was because they were rudderless they had no uh, no guiding uh, guiding principles uh, they all have the common denominator is that while they tend to use the Bible particularly revelations which is strong medicine for anybody um, they're all running from Christianity mm-hmm. that's right uh, blindly running from Christianity and uh you know, the other thing is that what do these people do for anybody? You know, Christians are generally about the the uh, job of trying to do something for somebody else, uh, rather than even rather than either enriching themselves or wanting power over other people. Um, Whereas the common denominator of these cults is uh, they want power over people. And the ultimate power is to tell them to kill themselves and have them do it. So uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's really it's a ter- terrible thing. I mean, we can joke about the spaceship and all that, you know, whatever, whatever uh, uh, apparent mental instability the leader may have had, uh, but... He was very effective. Uh, he was very seductive, and uh, you know he was every bit as uh, as uh, charismatic and seductive as uh, Hitler or uh, Lenin or you know any leader in history that you want to uh, uh, name uh, that got large numbers of people to follow him blindly to the point of killing themselves in order to prove their uh, fidelity, if you will, to the cult leader. And uh, the only antidote is uh, for that, it's a madness, you know, that you can't call it anything else. It's it's just people who have driven themselves uh, mad uh, with this seduction, with this... um, uh, fantasy, you know, they created all of these fantasies about, uh, you know, they drew from pop culture, the Star Trek, Star Wars uh, trilogy, all of these things. There were people who l- were living in a fantasy world, you know. And you weave in a little revelations and the rest of it, and you know, this guy's got a saleable product, and these people bought it right to the hilt. Well, the church must um, bear the onus for a lot of this, the uh, professed Christian's church first, because there's not a stress on strong biblical theological preaching. Mm-hmm. 
and because of that, uh, there's a strong existential strain. We come to church to feel good, to get the godly goose pimples and the warm Jesus fuzzies. Well, when these cults come along and offer better feelings, then they just run right along. That's true not only in the liberal churches, but also, perhaps especially these days, in the in the so-called evangelical churches. Come and we will meet your need. We will make you feel good. Well, there's no strong theological base there. And second, there's not a great stress on historic biblical uh, orthodoxy. Uh, and of course, the cults can't afford to stress uh, historic Christian faith because they're wanting to sort of reinvent the religion. And uh, I'm not talking about uh, dipping over into Roman Catholicism. Most listening to these tapes are not Roman Catholic, and I'm not being anti-Roman here. I'm, I'm simply saying you don't have to be a Roman Catholic to have a strong appreciation for those that have gone before us and um, God's providential dealings in the church. But the modern church today, for the most part, really lacks that, and so people are, as Douglas said, just rudderless, just rudderless. And well, any sort of uh, little religious duck that comes by and quacks, they'll follow along. And it's largely the uh, the air of the church for not standing forthrightly hey, with strong, firm, biblical, theological, doctrinal preaching, and also for not stressing uh, Christian historic Christian orthodoxy in the creeds and, and confessions of the church and interpreting them properly as they should. So these things are tragedies, but uh, to a large extent, the, the church itself and the country is to blame. Well, this uh, the reaction of the media and the comments of a lot of people are very different this time than Jonestown some years ago. Jonestown, they were very quick to jump on Christianity. Yeah, he was, a, he was a, some kind of a minister, therefore uh, this is some kind of a Christian group. We've got to be careful of these church groups. Now this group was so obviously New Age and rather chic and uh, um, kind of cutting edge in this, this, you know, the popularity of, you know, spaceships and aliens and so forth. They have a little trouble, but they haven't really criticized them. And in some of these interviews with former members, it was almost, you know, they didn't say this is kind of nutty, isn't it? They, they, they talked right. to them like, like yeah. this is a rational thing. Exactly, and, and, this is uh, very normal. And what were the other teachings of you? And well, you know, what did you you believe about this spaceship? And, yeah. and uh, because it's. The beliefs of this group are actually very acceptable today. That's a very good what point. What started yeah. out as a cult of, you know, UFOs and a mm -hmm. curiosity and people say, well, do they exist? Don't they exist? I think they must exist. Suddenly people are willing to give their lives for this. And judging from all, a lot of comments made by people who look into cults, he said there are hundreds of these groups in every major city in the country that have these far-out beliefs of, of various kinds. But something that characterized this group and why even now the media is saying they're um, giving them some legitimacy, they, they're saying, you know, why would they kill themselves? That's the big question. Mm -hmm. Why would they kill themselves? Not was, but the this problem is, wasn't their beliefs. This is right? nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. They're insane. That's right. They don't say it's nonsense. It's just it was nonsense for them to be, kill themselves, but we, the beliefs weren't. Yeah. We did, any search for spirituality day is considered to be valid. That's right. Spirituality is, is self-determined. Mm -hmm. You go through your own spiritual evolution. If these people happen to go off on this tangent, um, they dress neatly, they were polite to their neighbors, and they weren't uh, outwardly goofy. They were intelligent. Yeah. Therefore, there was really no problem with them. 
So what was it that caused them to kill themselves? It was what they believed for crying out loud. <laughs> I, I want to quickly read the current issue of U.S. News and World Report dealt with. Certainly not a right-wing uh, magazine. But it says here, according to the American Booksellers Association, the sale of New Age books jumped from 5.6 million copies in 1992 to 5.7 million in 1995. Close to $2 billion, according to Forbes magazine, is spent each year in the United States on aromatherapists, <laughs> channelers, uh, macrobiotic food vendors, and other aids to spiritual and physical well-being. And in a 1994 Roper poll, 45% of those who responded agreed that meditation had given them, quote, a strong sense of being in the presence of something sacred, close quote. So this, I, this is, as Mark said, is becoming very pervasive. And so no wonder that the press is saying, well, they didn't have wacky beliefs. Any, anything like this is okay. It's just they shouldn't have taken it to the extreme of killing themselves. Not even, they aren't really necessarily denouncing them. No, they're not they're just being denounced. Saying, why would yeah. they? What's why the would they do that? Yes. Yeah. yes. How did this? How did? What did? What was their thinking that caused them to go well, to this extreme? Bear in mind, we live in a country where the Supreme Court says that worshiping the devil is okay, witchcraft is okay, Santeria right. is okay. You know, we have uh, total re uh, religious freedom in this country, which is not necessarily good. Of course. Uh, you know, I think. Of um, some of you have read, you know, C.S. Lewis's *The Screwtape Letters*. He's got a brilliant statement in there about the materialist, materialist magician. Uh, rem remarkable statement about uh, rationalism and how that uh, rationalism only takes us so far, as scientism, you know, and that sort of thing. And then eventually, these rationalists begin to develop uh, an irrational faith, uh, which is, of course, a new religion. And that's what we're talking about—rival religions here. Rationalism is a dead-end road, and so people leap into irrationalism, into this sort of thing that we're talking about tonight. It's a substitute for Christianity, a demonic substitute for Christianity. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, these people who thought they were so cutting-edge, what they were really doing is they were following one person, one guru, who just kind of, you know, they kind of piggybacked on his general ideas because they were fascinated with UFOs, but basically they were under control. This one individual who for some reason decided... I'm getting old, or for whatever reason, let's finish it with a bang, and let's kill ourselves. And there's some evidence that he had a he had a disease, so he may have been a little less altruistic, or he that. didn't know where where to go with this. Uh, yeah. You know, the spaceship's not coming to us; we're going to have to go to it. Type of um, with the passports in the pockets. Which yes. is the same thing with Jim Jones. And Jim Jones, the gig was up; people were starting to leave. Yeah. It was dissatisfaction. So. He was new age, but it was not publicized. Yeah. But his idea was, I'm losing control. I still have control over them. Let's 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 do this. The ultimate control over an individual. But point here is, everybody has a faith. These Absolutely. people acted in terms of their faith. That's everybody right. has a faith. Now, sometimes our we act our our faith. We're not entirely consistent with our faith. Sometimes our our what we do in terms of faith is is is, is inconsistent. But everybody has faith, and they put faith in something, and that shouldn't surprise us. That's right. And uh, if it's not going to be Christian, it's going to be something else, and we shouldn't be surprised that there are people who are will willing to give their life for what they believe. Well, it, you have to say that there is a spiritual yearning in people, uh, you know, who uh, are casting about looking for some kind of faith, and anything will do. Uh, 
-hmm. Where is the church? Well, there was a real dualism, too, as Rush indicated, I think, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking. They were wanting to escape. There's this talk, well, the world is getting so bad, you know, and now we can, what is it, the body is very Greek. What did, what did the leader Doe say? The body is the, is the container. Very dualistic idea. And, and we're going to escape from this container. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the modern church thinks in much the same lines, too. But uh, it was not a dominionist sort of faith at all. It was a very escapist sort of faith. And that's the ultimate escapism is his death. You could almost write a book, I guess, on cults and entitle it The Many Faces of the Devil. Mm -hmm. Yes. They well, all have common denominators and they all have the same result. Uh, the cults used to be uh, heretical biblical thinking. Mm -hmm. Now they are New Age oriented. Uh, we still have some of the older cults around, aging, but it's the New Age cults that are now capturing the minds of people. Well, how much more of a warning do people need? Jesus said, all them that hate me love death. That's right. And it happens 100% of the right. time. Not 99% of the time, 100% of the time. Well, our time is just about up. We're grateful to those of you who sent in the questions that we have been discussing in these two tapes. We welcome the questions. Uh, we can't promise that we can discuss all of them because we may not know enough to do so. But do send them along. We are grateful to you for your comments and you are helping us to make the Easy Chair tapes more relevant and more interesting. Thank you and good night.